So we're in Psalm 2 this morning, and as we look at this Old Testament psalm, it's a messianic psalm. And so as we come to it, we know it speaks about Jesus Christ. How do we know? Well, we have to look at the language of the psalm, and I'll be pointing out a few of these things to you. But right here in the Old Testament, here is this psalm speaking about God's plan of salvation. Amazing. Same things we've been singing about. There's no different message. It's always the same. Let's come before the Lord and ask Him to enlighten our minds. Lord, our Heavenly Fathers, we open Your Word this morning. Remind us once again that the words that we are reading are your very breathed out thoughts to us. The words you wanted us to know, to reveal yourself and your plan, to tell us about your Son and how we are to live lives before you. Thank you for these words that we now call our Bibles. But Lord, help us to also know that we don't trust in your word, we trust in you. To apply your word in our lives. And so we trust in your word. And so Lord, do your work in us. Help us to see Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation. And help us to live lives accordingly. Lives in obedience to you. And in love for our Savior. Open our minds now. And speak to us, we pray, all of us. Amen. So as you turn to Psalm 2, we need to understand that it speaks about rebellion. Rebellion of the world's leaders, the world's nations against the Lord's anointed. And when you see that phrase, the Lord's anointed, it speaks of the Meshiach. In the Hebrew, the Messiah. Greek, the Christos. The Christ. So when you see that phrase, the Lord's anointed, it says Messiah, Christ. And yes, right here in the Old Testament. If you look in your Bibles, nowhere near the New Testament. A thousand years away from it. And here we read about, not David this time, but about God's own son. And, and people ask, well, how is that possible? How could an Old Testamental writer have written about the Messiah? Well, we need to remember what Scripture is. What is Scripture? Scripture is God's breathed out words. Two men who wrote it down, inspired by the Holy Spirit. They were writing what they were hearing. And does the Holy Spirit know everything? Yes, He does. Is He limited by time and history? No. And so right here in the Old Testament, Psalm 2 is a psalm speaking about the Messiah. Things which were to come. 2 Timothy 3.16, the first part, says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. 2 Peter 1.21 says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so the words we read out here now are a word of prophecy. To the Old Testament hearers and readers, and also to us. Let's read Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? 
The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Psalm 2 is very relevant for today and today's attitudes towards God, isn't it? You would have noticed it there. It's an expression of the rebellion of the human heart against God. And so it's not just limited to a revolt of just some Near Eastern kings, including the David's enemies and his, and his successors. No, it describes our local and our worldwide society, not just historically, but also today. It describes you and I before the Lord found us and drew us to Himself. We were in the same state of rebellion. And so that's what we look at firstly in the first three verses. Human rebellion against God. There's anarchy. The nations are in uproar. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings and the nations are in uproar. They are devising a vain thing. A vain thing? A thing which, why do it? What's the purpose of it? In today's language, Richard Dawkins says it in his book called The God Delusion. I cannot know for certain, he says, but I think God is very improbable. Think of all the possibilities of how much this will happen now, right? Think of the certainty in these words. I cannot know for certain, but I think God is very improbable, and I live my life on the assumption that he's not there. How certain is he? Not very. But his heart is in anarchy. I live my life as if God isn't there. That's what the kings were doing. The kings were arrogant towards God. They were taking their stand, says our text. They had set themselves against God. They had openly taken a stand against God and, say, and it was saying, here we stand, we do not want to listen to God any longer. And the nations, the peoples were joining them and they were plotting openly against God. Taking counsel, says our text, against the Lord. They were plotting openly against the Lord. Think of the time when Jesus was on earth. The Jewish rulers were openly plotting how they could get rid of Jesus Christ. That's all part of this picture. And who were they plotting against? 
the Lord. Who is the Lord? L-O-R-D. Capital letters if you've got a Bible that writes it like that. Who is that? Yahweh. God of the armies. The all-powerful one. And so it's futility. If he's all-powerful and you're plotting against him, what's it helping you? But it's not just against God, the Lord, but also against his anointed. We've seen what that means. His Messiah, Jesus Christ, as the Son of God. Where do we see that? Well, what did Herod try and do in Matthew chapter 2? We're coming into the time of Advent or Christmas with everything that goes with it. Herod tried to kill all those male babies because he feared this king of the Jews who was born. Diocletian, who lived a few years later, he was a Roman ruler. He hated this new Christian movement so much that he minted a special coin and it bore the inscription, the name of Christianity being extinguished. He didn't just stop there. When he invaded Spain, he erected two monuments where the army passed through into Spain. The one monument said this. Listen to the words. Diocletian Jovian Augusti. That's his full name. Not really. It's his two more names. For having extended the Roman Empire in the east and the west, and for having extinguished the name of Christians who brought the Republic to ruin. On the other monument, he wrote this. Listen to the names. Diocletian Herculeus. I am Hercules, the almighty one, the god of war. Caesaris Augusti, for having everywhere abolished the superstition of Christ and for having extended the worship of the gods. Had he extinguished Christianity, how would you and I be here? You see, it was a futile thing. Diocletian had not abolished Christianity. On the contrary, at the time that he was erecting these monuments with these inscriptions, Christianity was growing stronger than ever as the church was growing and expanding under persecution. And the name of Jesus Christ was being made known in the Roman Empire until it reached the very throne of the Roman Empire in the, in the emperor who believed who was a Christian. What does this arrogance look like today in our New Zealand society? I'll just give one example. Let's remove the name of Jesus Christ from our parliamentary prayer to make it more inclusive. Isn't that arrogance? Who are you? And so the kings of the earth and the nations make an announcement. Look at verse 3. They say, let us tear their fetters apart. Whose fetters? Whose chains? God's. And he's anointed. We don't want to be under his rule anymore. Let us cast away their cords from us. In today's language, it sounds like this. God's cramping our style. Cramping us from the good stuff in life. We want to break free. We don't want to listen to God anymore. Or be responsible to him. I am responsible to myself. And so we rebel. Modern humanism. The LGBTQ movement against family values. Secularism. The new atheists. Here's an example of a new atheist making a statement. Christopher Hitchens. He was a prolific writer. I think he wrote 38 books or something. This is what he said in his book called 
He called the book, God is not great. Well, is that open anarchy? Stephen Hawking, who passed away and is now facing his maker. After his death, they published the last of his books in a compendium in 2018. And in it, he makes a statement. There's no possibility of God in our universe. If, if um, Stephen Hawking was all-knowing, he could make that statement. But he wasn't, was he? And so that's the statement the world and society makes against God. Open anarchy. And there are many more examples I could name, but I won't. Can God leave these things like this? He can't. He's a holy God. He can't just ignore sin. He can't just ignore rebellion in society and in your and my life. He can't ignore it because he wouldn't be God. He wouldn't be holy. And so our text verse 4 says this. This is God's reaction to this outright declaration of hatred. He says this. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Now, the amusement that is shown here by God isn't a ha-ha amusement. It's not a laughter amusement. It is a laugh of scoffing from a source of power to non-power. How can you say this? Laugh. It's a laugh of derision. How can a mere human being, how can mere human beings like kings expect to get rid of the almighty God? How can they expect to ignore almighty God? It's pure foolishness. Because who's God? He's the one, says our text, seated in the heavens. All-powerful. He's the one who's sovereign. He's the one who's almighty. He is Yahweh, God of the armies. In front of my house, they've been trying to fix that road there for, it seems like, two years now. And I've seen some interesting machinery, and one of those is a steamroller. I could really do with that one. I could fix all kinds of things. But imagine if an ant in the road stood up against that steamroller and said, I defy you. I will stand against you. You think the steamroller is going to say, go for it, buddy. What are the chances? Now, God is so much greater than that picture, and yet people wave their fists at him. God says, I laugh at you, I scoff at you. And that changes to a righteous anger and a fury, because look at all the blessings I pour out on you as human beings. And yet you will rise up against me. And so his righteous anger and his fury rises against human beings. And he rebukes them and he judges them. And it comes in the form of an announcement. They've made an announcement against God. Now God makes an announcement against men. And this is his judgment statement against men. This is it. He says, I have installed my king upon Zion. I love this. This is Old Testament. God speaks in the past tense. The past perfect tense. I have installed my king in Zion. It's done. How can God say that? It's only Old Testament. In God's mind, is he limited to time and space? No. He looks over all time and space. 
God in His zeal had already installed His Son. His plan was already in action, even through David, to bring His Son into this world, to have Him installed. And that's an official term, by the way, to put in place as king, to install a king. He would be the king installed in Zion. Already done. The Lord of God, through His zeal, was going to do this. Isaiah 37, 32 says, The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What does the word zeal mean? We don't understand it too well anymore today. The word zeal today means God's concern for His own honor and His glory. And combined with that, His great love for His people. And then He puts that love and that Concern for his honor and his glory. He puts that into action through his almighty power. That zeal. His zeal will accomplish this. And so he says to them, I have installed my king upon Zion. Old Testament Job, he understood this. He said, Job 42.2, speaking to God, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That's a beautiful old word. No purpose of yours can be pushed aside and made nothing. You will accomplish what you put your mind to. And so, approximately 979 years after the psalm was written, it's nearly a thousand years, Scripture records this verse, Luke chapter 2, verse 7. And she, that's Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. God was starting the installing of his son in history at that moment. And when was this fulfilled? 30 plus years later, when Jesus rose again from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father, he was installed officially. This is my son. Luke chapter 24. And so here we have described us in verses 7 to 9, this divine rule that God points out to them. And interestingly, here we have God, the anointed one, speaking. He is already installed. He is actively speaking in this passage in the Psalms. Amazing. And this is what he says. He describes his position, quoting the words of the Father, you are my son. Now, was God informing God the Father informing Jesus that he is, you are my son? Is that what those words mean? No. Jesus already knew that from time past. What is it then? It's part of the installation. It is the official announcement. You are my son today. Today I have begotten you. Now the JWs would misinterpret that verse. They would say that this is evidence that God created the Son, as in made Him. No, God is from eternity to past to eternity future. In the Trinity, three persons. God the Father didn't create the Son. This is the misinterpretation that happens because people don't read their Bibles properly. What it's saying here is, 
I have begotten you today. I've put you in this position and you have been made my son officially. Before men, you are my son. I install you at my right hand. And then God raised him up as the firstborn from among the dead, says Colossians 1.18. That was the, the cream on the cake. That was the evidence behind what was God was doing. He was bringing him up as the firstborn from among the dead, raising him from the dead and conquering death. All part of God's plan. And then God says to the son, I give you the nations of the world. Look at verse 7 and 8. I give you the nations of the world. Now, at any installation of a king, people would come with their gifts, and they'd put their gifts before this king. What is the gift that the father gives to the son? No. What's our text say? I give you the nations of the world. They are your possession. Who are the nations? These ones with their fists in the air, the rebellious ones. I give them to you as your inheritance. Now ask me and proclaim, ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance. And that's where you and I come in, you see, because what does Jesus do? He takes that authority that God has given him and he gives you and I the authority and he says, Now, go into all the world, going to these rebellious nations. And proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. Mark chapter 16, 15. There's our mandate. Do you see where this comes from? It's not just something Jesus dreamed up on the spur of the moment. This comes from way before time. As part of God's master plan, you and I are included in it. There's the big picture. Jesus enthroned on his throne. Authority by the Father. And now he says to you and I, go into all the world and make disciples. You have my authority. He doesn't just end there. He says, you will rule over them with an iron scepter and you will dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, you need to read this properly. Otherwise, you won't understand. You will rule them with an iron scepter. We've got the shepherd's crook, right? What was the role of the shepherd's crook? It was there to guide to put boundaries around. But also, when danger came, it was there to be used as a weapon. And so those are the two functions. You will rule them with an iron scepter. What's he speaking about here? He's speaking about this Meshiach as Lord. These are my commandments. This is the way I want you to live. I will rule over you with my iron scepter. He will have complete dominion. Philippians chapter 2 verse 10 to 11 says it this way. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, every tongue will recognize the dominion of Jesus Christ. Because every tongue will confess his name. When Jesus Christ returns, every tongue will confess He is Lord. Whether they acknowledge that before or not, in that moment they will. But that's not all. That's the God who's before us as Lord. There's also this God who breaks and shatters like pottery. 
Who is this? This is the Messiah as judge. He brings his mercy and his judgment. That is what Scripture teaches about this Messiah, this one who's been installed. What do we do with this, people? What do we do with this psalm, Psalm 2? We've still got a few verses left, verses 10 to 12. And here are the so what's. This is the application for us. Now, therefore, in light of everything said before here, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. There's human responsibility here now. We've heard what God has said about His Son. What is there for us to do? There's only one thing. Mutinous nations are to offer the only ho- Mutinous nations are offered the only hope, and where is their only hope? In submission to this Lord. You see, this is an inv- invitation. It's not an ultimatum. It says, "Therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned." In other words, God says in today's language, "Hey, kings, wise up. Listen. Take note of what, you, what you've seen before you and make a decision accordingly. Show discernment. Take warning. Make sure you're not part of those who rebel against the Lord. And to you and I sitting and listening to Psalm 2 this morning, that's the word coming up to you as well. Make sure you are not part of those who rebel against the Lord. You might not open your rebel. But in your, ha- in your heart, in the way that you live before the Lord, are you rebelling against Him? If you don't know the Lord yet, you are in a state of rebellion against Him. Because you need to come and bow the knee to this Jesus Christ. You need to take stock of your attitude before the anointed one of God. And then you are to worship Him. This is how we come before Him in repentance. We are to worship And there's three ways we are to worship. We are to worship with reverence, says our text. What does that mean? We are to remember that we are humans and He is God. And we are to lift up His holy name. Worship with reverence. He's not the big J, my big bro. He is God Almighty who loves me. Yes. I am to rejoice with trembling. I love this. We are to rejoice with trembling. When we think about everything that Jesus Christ has done for us as the Messiah, we are to rejoice, lift up our hearts with gladness, but with trembling. There's the balance. Were it not for Him, where would I be? And so, Lord, I give you praise. Were it not for you, I would have my fist in the air rebelling against you. I give you praise. Rejoice with trembling. And then do homage to the Son. The literal translation in your Bible might say that. It says, kiss the hand of the Son. Now, when other, when other people came and they wanted to show that they wanted to submit to a king, what would they do? The king would hold out his right hand with the ring on it that's, that says, this is the king. And they would come and kiss that hand. Why the right hand? It's the executive hand. They would kiss the right hand. He says here in this text, come and kiss the hand of the Son, literally the pure one. Who's to come? Rulers of the world, your society, come and kiss the hand of the Son. God's appealing to us here. Why would we do this? Because 
this hand holds forth, the one that you are to kiss holds forth hands that were pierced by nails for you. The very same hand that wields power showed mercy. Come and kiss the hand of the Son. Give up your rebellion against Him. One day He is coming as the great judge of all, and He will dash like pottery, but on that day the wicked will be punished. However, today is the day of grace. He hasn't come yet. There is still time to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. And I love this verse over here, the last one. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. You'll be blessed if you kiss the hand of the Son and show allegiance to the Anointed One. As we celebrate the coming to the earth of this Messiah, this baby born to a virgin 2,000 plus years ago, you and I too, this Christmas, and with our grandchildren and kids, let's rejoice with trembling. Let's remember who He is. The Messiah was God's mercy on display. And please listen to this. Take refuge in Him, because the only escape from the judgment of God is to be found in the mercy of God. The only escape from the judgment of God is to be found in the mercy of God. Julian was a Roman emperor from 361 to 363 AD. He was called Julian the Apostate. That was his nickname given to him by the early church. Why? Because he hated them. And during the peak of his reign, he repeatedly and publicly pointed his dagger to the heavens, defying the Son of God, whom he commonly called the Galilean. I defy you, Galilean. That's on public record in the writings of Josephus. And in the last battle, when Julian was mortally wounded, now you need to see this picture. He scraped together all his clotted blood that was round him on the ground because he'd been mortally wounded. And he threw that clotted blood into the air, exclaiming, Thou hast conquered, O thou Galilean. And then he faced his maker. Many others in history have gone down. Mussolini was one. Samora Michel was one. People who have raised their fists publicly at Almighty God. We do so in our New Zealand society. We raise our fists publicly against Almighty God. Let's consider God and His Anointed One, the Son of God, and rejoice with trembling. How do we do that? I close with Isaiah 55, 7. This is what it says. Let the wicked forsake his way. The unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Come while there is time. Bow before Him. Let's pray. Lord our God, we thank You for the whole of Your Word. And thank You, Lord, that right here in the Old Testament, 
we can see this psalm speaking about you, Lord Jesus. Put at the right hand of God the Father as Lord of the heavens. And Lord, we know that you will soon be returning as that Lord of all creation. And you will be coming back, not this time to bring peace, but coming in your role as judge. Lord, I plead with you. If there are those here who still have not bowed the knee to Jesus Christ and made you the head of their lives, the one in control of their lives, Lord, through your Spirit, may they see that it is a foolish thing that they are standing up before Almighty God with fist in the air. May they bow the knee to you, Lord, and receive pardon and grace. And Lord, I pray for us who are believers. May we remember that as we rejoice in everything that you do in our lives, may we not forget to rejoice with trembling. To remember you are almighty God. You know us. You know every thought of us. You know how we are put together. You know your plan for us. You know the works you've prepared for us. You know the, the word that you've put before us and you want to keep us in your way. Lord, help us to be obedient before you in every single aspect of our lives. Not one exclusion at all with excuses packed around it, but in everything submitted to you, the Almighty One. Help us to live holy lives as you would want us to. Through your help, through your Spirit's help we pray. Amen.